the humanities and social sciences. Welcome to another episode of Oh the Humanities and Social Sciences, the hashtag hashtag podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Jay Dunn, who is talking about two uh, elective subjects that she's running out of school, one of which is an enrichment elective. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Jay Dunn. Jay, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, look, thanks for coming on the show. A great, uh, great topic lined up for today's uh, today's episode. Uh, before we we start getting into it, can you give the uh, listeners a bit of a background about who you are? Yep, sure. Um, so I'm a social science teacher. I teach in Northern Sydney at Epping Boys High School. Um, I've been teaching 15 years, going into my 16th year of teaching. Um, I'm a geography trained teacher. That was my love and my passion at uni. Um, when I came out of uni, I was a targeted graduate for legal studies and geography, which legal studies I had never taught. Um, so just sort of learnt, learnt on the fly um, and I ended up probably teaching more senior legal studies over my career than I actually have geography. Um, I'm lucky now to be at a school where we do run senior geography um, often. And so I've been able to sort of teach the senior geography course and the junior geography courses as well, um, in addition to legal studies. It's 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 funny because I was actually I'm I'm a trained geography teacher more than anything, and I've taught more business studies than geography throughout my whole career. So it's funny how you don't, it, particularly in his, you don't end up really teaching what uh, what you've really sort of been set up to teach. No, no one tells you that at uni either. Like you just have this dream of becoming, you know, a geography teacher that's going to change the world one student at a time. And then you sort of get out there and a lot of schools don't offer the senior geography. I know my first school that I was at in Southwest Sydney um, didn't offer the senior geography course. I think I offered it once. I think I taught it once whilst I was there and then just uh, became the the sole and then um, like head, like lead legal studies teacher in the school, which was quite strange when I look back at it now thinking that I would never have ever thought that that would be what I would end up teaching I just assumed I would just teach geography but no of course you end up in a social science faculty and you've got to teach everything they throw at you yeah and look and speaking of teaching things that throw at you and teaching things that are new um I understand that you've sort of got two sort of uh subjects that I, when we spoke about this podcast beforehand um that I really was not aware of uh global studies and I'm probably going to get it wrong again innovative solutions was that right no that's right that's right yeah. um so <laughs> So global studies, what, what's a global studies? Um, well, we, I've, tried to, I've actually tried to offer um, elective geography at Epping for the seven years that I've been there. We offer it, obviously, every year to, to the Year 9, year nine cohort. And unfortunately, we've had a couple of kids pick it out of a cohort of, you know, 200, um, but never enough to get a class. So um, I've, at the end of sort of 20, what was it, 2018, I sort of approached my deputy and said, look, I think we've got a naming issue here and perhaps if we rename the geography elective course, still use its um, its outcomes as the basis of our topics, but then actually sort of mix and match the topics around and sort of create a bit of a course that would be more interesting to particularly our boys that are very outdoorsy, very hands-on learners. I think that could be something that really works. Um, my deputy's an English teacher. She just sort of looked at me and sort of went, you know what, go with it and see what happens. And so um, for the cohort for next year, we renamed the elective geography course, obviously, as I said, kept its outcomes, 
kept a couple of its core themes, um, but actually sort of mixed and matched bits and pieces of the topics to create new topics um, and then offered it as global studies. And um, it got a class of 2022, 20, I think. So um, it goes on, obviously goes on an elective line with a class of 22 and at the subject selection evening had great interest from parents because uh, I think this this idea of, you know, we live in a global world now, an increasingly global world, and so it becomes quite important for the for their boys to learn about their, their world that they live in. So it became actually quite popular, even though it was really elective geography kind of rebranded. Yeah, and, and how do you get around sort of like any NESA requirements when you, when you rename a subject? Uh, you know, with, with your documentation, is there, would you have to do any investigating with them first or getting any approval if you're going to, you know, rename uh, the subject something else? Was that an issue or was that something you didn't have to worry about at all? Oh, I, I left that in the hands of my deputy who spoke to um, Nessa and just sort of said, so long as you um, report it as elective geography um, using its outcomes, then you tick off the boxes because it's not really, which I, this is something I learned this year, after, even after teaching 15 years, that it's not necessarily um, the topics that they tick off, but it's that the students have been taught to meet the educational outcomes. And so when I report next year, it will be reported on the boys' reports as global study, studies and then in brackets, elective geography and using the GEE 4 dash, whatever it is, through to yeah, one through to four dash nine. Uh, sorry, five dash one through to five dash nine, um, using those same outcomes, which are quite the outcomes I found to be quite generic. So things like form uh, processes that form and transform environments, for example, and we've just sort of taken that and we're, I'm going to look at a case study on the most recent bushfires, um, for example. And then I noticed um, with this cu- current cohort going into year nine that when they were in year seven, they really loved the landscapes and landforms topic. And so we're going to sort of pick up on the plate tectonics and go into a bit more detail with things like um, earthquakes and volcanoes because being boys, they are quite excited by things that go crash and things that blow up. So trying to just sort of um, tailor to those interests as well. Yeah. So you say that this is coming online next year. So what, what, are, you, or, or, so what are you doing? What's that? Sorry? For 2020. Oh, so this year? Yeah. Sorry. I've forgotten we've moved into a new year. Oh, no. <laughs> That's fine. Um <laughs> That's okay. So look, um, so ready, ready for this year. Um, the kids are obviously excited to get on board. Uh, how's the rest of the sort of the hizzy faculty sort of sort of seeing this? Are they sort of seeing this as oh, it's just a bit of smoke and mirrors, or other faculty seeing this as you're just sort of, you know, trying to cheat students into doing a subject? And you know, how how, is, how have other faculties or colleagues sort of approached this this approach here? Um. It's interesting. It's been met with uh, praise from the very top. So the senior executive and the principal um, are really quite excited to be uh, to be able to say that we're offering something a little bit different. Um, having said that, I work in a social science faculty, so it's not a hizzy. So there's an individual history head teacher and history faculty, and then a social science head teacher and social science faculty. Um, the history faculty um, aren't very happy because there aren't as many history elective classes which, to be fair, they don't actually think has anything to do with this, um, but they're just unhappy in that respect. Um, in terms of my own faculty, um, I'm to be honest with you, I'm the only geography-trained teacher within my faculty, so I don't even think my colleagues really understand um, what the ge- geography elective um, subject is really about. 
and um, how it's going to be taught. And I think the the focus, particularly from my head teacher, felt like it was making sure we have lots of commerce classes and we run accelerated business for year nine and they do the um they do the HSE in year 11. So that's really the priority for social science going into year nine and 10. So it's sort of something that hasn't really got much coverage. Um, but I'm hoping that the kids that have picked it for 2020 really enjoy it. And it is something that runs more regularly, um, I guess, in the social science calendar. Yeah. And look, I'd love to sort of touch base with you at the end of the year and see uh, see what the end result was uh, from both a from both a student and, and teacher point of view, there. Yep. Um, another subject that I know you're you're running there, and uh, I, I find uh, quite interesting, innovative solutions. Yeah. Uh, is this a rebrand of another subject, or is this something totally new? No, this is completely new. Um, so in my role at Epping, other than being social science, I'm the enrichment coordinator, which is, I guess, we call it that, but it's really the gifted and talented coordinator. So I um, run all of the gifted and talented stream, which we have. We have two classes in year seven and year eight, and then um, different sorts of bits and pieces throughout different subjects through stage five. Um, And as part of the stage four enrichment program, we do cross-curriculum projects. Um, And they've been very successful in the last couple of years. Some of the topics that we've done, we designed an urban garden Um, We did a war on waste and then this year the Year 7 class actually did a redesign of the school campus which which was this sort of looking for problems um, and then finding solutions and they actually rebuilt the campus. So that's been quite successful focusing on things like problem solving, you know, using your imagination and being quite innovative. Um, It seems to be the push for education at the moment um, it seems to be this under this this banner of 21st century learning this whole sort of you know problem based project based teamwork communication collaboration all those sorts of things so um, my principal decided that we needed more of it um, I'm at a school with quite a large percentage of old older staff and so this idea of you know new new education styles wasn't really something that was there when I got there. And I guess as more of the schools around us have decided to to jump on board with 21st century learning, my principal has finally decided that it's a good idea that we do too. And so he just basically called me down to his office and said, this is what I need you to do. You need to come up with something for next year. Um, you can bring anybody on board that you want, but it needs to be something that's 21st century learning. So I just sort of then moved from his office to my deputy's office and said, look, this is what he's asked me to do. And she said, well, I would start with the success of the cross-curriculum projects in year seven and eight and work with that. So I sort of went away for a while and kind of thought about this idea of project-based learning and the importance of the collaboration um, collaboration aspect of education and, and those, those sorts of skills in addition to learning content and sort of decided to run a purely project-based learning or offer a pure project-based learning elective for year nine in 2020. Um, I've noticed that there's quite an interest in STEM um, with the boys at my school. Um, I'm not qualified in any way to teach STEM. Um, So I went and found the teacher who runs the STEM club and sort of put it to him and sort of said, this is what I've been charged to do. I need someone who's going to help me out here. I know the STEM club is very popular. It started with three members. I think he said last year it had 67 and it just meets at a, in a lunchtime and, and does STEM related projects. So I got him on board um, and we just sort of nutted out a couple of different projects. We're going to be looking at um, mining 
and the impact of mining, um, it, whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing, particularly looking at case studies like Octeti and obviously Adani, which is very contemporary at the moment. Um, we're going to obviously have a bit of a sustainability focus and look at the ways to make our world more sustainable from a local and global perspective, um, incorporating some STEM. And then we're also going to have a bit of a local focus and look at some local localised problems and how students can become problem solvers. To be fair, we haven't actually planned that part. That's term four. Um, but we've got the rest of it sort of um, loosely programmed, uh, ready to start the year. Okay. Now, um Obviously, uh, something like you know the news of those curriculum reviews on at the moment, and it's pushing that the curriculum is really crowded. Where are you fitting this subject in? Okay, are you cool. taking something else out, or is this running offline? How how are you fitting this subject in? Because if if people are sitting and thinking, you know, I'd love to run something like this, uh, but they wouldn't know where to put it. How can they fit this in? Okay, so with our cross curriculum projects in Year Seven and Eight, we ran them across classes. So worked on a quite a uh, strict timetable to allow sort of an English period and a maths period to be used one week and a science and a geography period to be used next week. Um, and we found that worked really well. Um, however, it's a lot more difficult when um, students get into years nine and year 10, because there's, first of all, not as much flexibility in the hours that, that we're timetabled at Epping to be able to do things like that. And so it became an, it became a sort of a well, where do we put it? And um, the principal and I sort of and then my deputy who's in charge of teaching and learning sort of sat down and said, well, we really think it needs to run as an independent subject on an elective line. So Nessa specifies that a student needs to do two 200 hour um, electives in stage five um, in order to qualify for the ROSA or whatever it is. And um, so we're going to run it on our what is our third elective line as a school school developed option for students. So all of the regular um, subjects that were, are offered uh, are also offered. So things like your your commerce and your elective history and your drama and music and um, you know your your TAS related subjects are all still running as normal. And then on what is the third elective line, we are running um, a purely project-based learning elective option for students in year nine. So they will still satisfy NESA by having two NESA accredited stage five electives. And then this is an optional, well, not, it's an optional, it's a different option for them on the third elective line. Okay, now you mentioned that it's a school-developed uh, board-endorsed course, uh, which um uh, schools are able to sort of develop the paperwork and, and put forward. Uh, what's this process you had to go through if someone is listening and thinking, you know, I want to do this? Um, you know, you've, you've settled the, the timetable issues, but how did you actually go about getting a school-developed board-endorsed course? Because I've had a look at that before, and the paperwork is just, um, you know, the amount of documentation is just tremendous. How did you get all this up, off the ground? Now, again, this was my deputy's role, but as I understand it, because it is the third elective option, it doesn't have to be board endorsed because they will already satisfy NESA requirements of two 200-hour electives. Um, and then how you sort of, I guess, timetable their other subjects is um, at a school at a school level. So, I mean, at Epping, we also um, timetable in welfare lessons as well, 7 through 10. So um, it, there's a period that's allocated a fortnight um, on a welfare, it's called the Boys to Men program, which is a school-developed program. And so it doesn't obviously go into NETS or as anything that's accredited for ROSA um, and the Innovative Solutions operates in the same way. So the global studies that I previously mentioned will be accredited, is accredited because it's the, the geography elective sort of renamed uh, and re-sort of shuffled. But this particular one, because it sits on a different sort of elective line, almost 
additional learning time, I guess you, if you want to look at it that way, an additional yeah. elective line for the boys, um, it doesn't actually need to be board endorsed. Okay. And all right, um, you mentioned a little bit earlier that, um, you know, you've got much more sort of older demographic of staff there who, um, you know, when, when this uh, idea was floated, uh, may have been a little bit apprehensive. Yep. Um, so how did you overcome these barriers? How, how do you how do you change? Uh, I mean, this is you know the, the the million dollar question for all education systems and schools and, and whatever. But how do you change that culture? Look, you know, there are some battles you're going to win. This is this is how I sort of look at it. And there are some battles that you just you're never going to win. Um, so in this this year that has just ended in tw- in 2019 with our Year Seven Enrichment Project. Um, we had teachers that were so excited about the project that they were you know, offering extra time. And then we had some that obviously said, oh, I don't really see the point of this and I'm not going to do it. And so it's sort of, I kind of look at a bit of a negotiation um, type session and sort of working with those particular teachers who maybe don't see the value um, in ways that we can incorporate it into their lessons without them even realising that they're doing it. So um, I used to provide a quite heavily scaffolded uh, work to these, uh, to, to, it was a science teacher in particular who didn't really want to participate. So I would sort of scaffold the lesson a little bit more for him so that he didn't really feel like he had to, to do anything else and sort of give him the step-by-step instructions for what he needed to do in his lesson. Whereas something like the drama teacher, for example, was so excited about this that I just said, look, this is what you need to cover in this lesson. Like we just, this is, this is what they need to do. And she goes, don't worry, I've got it and would sort of go and it'd be a great lesson. Um, But the science teacher sort of almost kind of looked at it just as me helping him out. So was very appreciative and thought, well, if she's gone to all the effort, then so can I. And by the end of it, he was actually quite um, engaged in it all and really enjoyed it and uh, was one of the teachers who made sure that he had his classes covered so that he could attend the final presentation. So we sort of went through from this person who didn't really see the point didn't really want to do anything extra getting towards the end of his career as well to me kind of helping him without really saying that I'm helping you. Cause I mean, you can also upset people by trying to tell them what to do, but so sort of by giving him a step-by-step instruction sheet, and then he could sort of take bits and pieces of the, um, the step-by-step that he wanted to and turn it into something that he felt more confident because he had the resources to make it work. If that makes sense. I don't know if I've just made sense or not. And so, you know, the, the, you know, no, 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 that makes perfect sense. Yeah. By the end of it, he was sort of scared at the beginning because obviously if you teach a certain way for 40 years and then someone says, here's another idea with, you know, he's got 12 months left of his career, um, gets a bit apprehensive. But I think by having sort of scaffold assistance without actually being top, without the feeling of being told what to do, he was more um, sort of happy to sort of get on board by, and was quite excited by the end of it. Yeah, well, everyone, regardless of how old you are or whether you're a student or a teacher, everyone needs a little bit of guidance to sort of help them get over that sort of scary, you know, scary little step. You know, there's the fear of the unknown. Like you said, if you've been doing something the same way over and over and over again and, you know, it's always seemed to have worked for you, why, you know, if it's not broken, why fix it? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, look, um, just to wrap up, if, if someone was interested in running any of these sorts of, of courses at their school, um, final advice, what can, you, what can you tell them? Look, I think it's important to have a team of people with a common vision. I mean, I know it sort of sounds like uh, because I'm teaching both of these subjects that I was 
well, I was a driving force, but it's quite important to have somebody at a higher executive who either wants, is heading in the same direction as you or will support what you suggest. Um, it's also quite important, I, I found, to actually have reasons for what you suggest. A lot of colleagues that I have just sort of think that if you just go into the principal's office, you know, bleating and carrying on with an idea that he, he will listen. Uh, well, of course, he, he's a very busy man, you know, or a very busy woman and can't always listen to all the suggestions. But if you sort of have a, a concrete plan and a reason for your plan and, and document the reasons why, um, and almost like what we teach the kids. I mean, we teach these kids to have solutions to these problems and be innovative in this particular case. And so I think it's important to be able to identify issues within schools, but be able to come up with a, a solution and then go and speak to somebody about the solution. Um, we we have a great, uh, we like my school does very well in the HSC and things like that, every, in that plan every year. But there is a gap in in the gifted and talented program between year seven and year eight, and then it just sort of uh, it kind of just sort of drifts off, and that's been something that uh, had been there for several years. It was really good in year seven and eight, and then there was nothing in year nine and and year nine and ten. So when I took over the role two years ago, I sort of said to my deputy, "Look, my aim is to 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 fix year nine and year ten because we expect these these kids to just you know." Um, gift sort of enrich themselves when they get to year nine and ten. So it was very important to that I sort of identified this issue, and then sort of had a solution. Like here's a, here's a good idea. We could run an elective. Um, there's a couple of other things that we do as part of the gifted and talented program for year nine and ten. And uh, but the elective obviously is the is the new one for for 2020. And then sort of have the evidence to support why why we need it. Like we need it for for developing those problem solving, for those collaboration skills, for those communication skills, for organisation, for that project project um, management, as well um, to sort of get these boys ready for when they a do the HSC. And then, of course, B, when they leave to school and go into the big wide world. So I think having having, yeah, having yeah, the, the research and having the purpose before you sort of go and petition the principal or the deputy to make a change um, is very important as well. Well, look, Jay, thank you very much for giving your time to have a, have a chat with me for the podcast. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter at hashtag HouseChat. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au